Good morning, friends. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, uh, beginning in verse 1 and up through uh, verse 5, which is our uh, one of our verses for today. John 1, 1 through 5 is what I'll be reading. Please follow along with me in your copy of the Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God's holy and inerrant and authoritative word. May he bless this and help us as we study this this morning. Please join me in prayer. Father, we uh, come confessing our need uh, we come confessing uh, the need of help to see and understand the truth that lies in these verses. Give us clear minds, Father. Uh, open our eyes and our ears by your good spirit. Help us to see and hear truth today. Father, give me a clear mind and a clear voice to proclaim your truth. Father, I pray that you would satisfy us and nourish us with hungry souls this morning. Uh, Lord, please fill us, strengthen us with your holy word. Help us to grow in grace. And Father, those who have yet to put their faith in Christ, draw them uh, by the power of your good spirit. Be with us now in our time ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I confess John chapter 1 is not your orthodox uh, Christmas passage. Maybe you're a little disappointed that I've chosen John 1 and not one of the more traditional texts from uh, Matthew or Luke. There's the ringer, isn't it? Luke chapter 2. I mean, everybody studies Luke chapter 2 at Christmas, except at New Covenant Bible Church, apparently. Uh, Matthew and Luke begin their accounts by describing the birth of Jesus and the events that surround uh, the birth of Jesus. John begins this account in a completely different way, in a completely different place. John goes back further than Matthew and Luke. Way back further. I mean, eternity passed further. And by eternity passed, I mean before the world was created, before time began. That's where John starts his account. In the first three verses that we studied last week, John described Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. That is the glory he had with his Father before he took on human, a human body. Uh, John described him there as the eternal word. Uh, we saw that Christ was eternal, that he was divine, meaning he was God. Not just God-like, he was, he was God, equal with the Father. And then thirdly, we saw that he was the creator of all things. 
But in the next two verses, verses 4 and 5, the, the setting changes from eternal glory before time begins uh, to earth. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, John explains that Jesus left his Father's glory, took on our human condition to enter a world darkened by sin. Now this is referred to in other places in Scripture. Uh, this is referred to by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Uh, perhaps you remember this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That too refers to his eternal glory. There was no time on earth when he was rich. That's a reference to before time began and his presence with the Father. Uh, Paul talks about this again in Philippians 2. And I know you're much more familiar with this. Uh, this also ties in with the verses before us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this is what we see taking place today. But here's the question. Why did Jesus leave his Father's glory, clothe himself with our humanity, and enter the world through the floor of a filthy stable in Bethlehem? Why did Christ, the eternal word, become a man? Now, there's more than one answer to this question as, as we see in God's word. But I want to focus on the two reasons that John gives us in the verses before us. John gives us two reasons why Christ left his eternal glory uh, in verses 4 and 5. The first reason that John gives is uh, that Christ left his Father's glory to bring life to the dead. Look again at verse 4 with me. In him was life. In him was life. And as I read these words, it, it arouses questions, and uh, specifically three questions that I want to ask of this, and hopefully you want to ask the same questions about this short little phrase that has far-reaching implications. In him was life. Uh, three questions. The first is, what kind of life? What kind of life does this refer to? Uh, the Greek word that John uses is the word zoe. And in that Greek word, we hear our English words zoo and zoology, which is the study of animal life. And then, of course, there's the girl's name, Zoe. But this Greek term refers more to just animal life. This refers to being alive, having life in you. It refers to the life force that both men and animals possess. John uses it even in a different way than that. It's more than being alive. 
He uses this word in a distinct way throughout his gospel. He uses zoe to describe spiritual and eternal life that comes through faith in Christ. It can refer to being physically alive, but when John uses it, he's mainly thinking about being alive spiritually. When John says, in him was life, he's talking about spiritual and eternal life that comes through faith in Christ. This shows up again in John. Later in chapter 10, in John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's speaking to people who are already alive. This must be some other kind of life. He must be referring to a different kind of life, and that is spiritual life or eternal life. So our first question is, what kind of life is is this referred to in him was life? And the answer is, he's referring to spiritual life. But then we go on and just... This raises a second question that that pours out of the first one. And that is, why do we need spiritual life? Why do we need spiritual life? Why do you and I need to be given spiritual life? And maybe the answer is obvious to you. But the answer is because we were dead, spiritually speaking. We were dead, spiritually speaking. Christ came to bring spiritual life because men and women were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you hear me say that, and I hear the skepticism in the room. And you might be thinking, really? Spiritually dead? I mean, that's, that's pretty extreme. You, you're saying I was spiritually dead, or you're saying I might still be spiritually dead? Yes, I am. Well, How did that happen? How did I die spiritually? Well, the Bible tells us how this took place in Romans chapter 5. And Paul says here, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, the one man, by the way, is Adam. See, Genesis chapter 1 really matters really matters. We can't play footloose and fancy free with the text of Genesis 1 because it counts. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you see the import of this verse? This is how you wound up spiritually dead. Adam ate of the fruit in the garden, handed to him by his wife. (laughs) And at that time, Adam represented every one of us. And because Adam sinned, it was passed on to you and me. My father passed on several things to me. Lousy sinuses is the main thing I can think of. But uh, my dad passed on something else as well. And that's my sin nature. And I, 
you can do the genealogy of your sin nature through the Bible, and you can take it all the way back to here. And that's where it came from. And that's why you and I have a sinful nature. Um, this isn't just about physical death. Physical death did come through this sin. This verse is also about spiritual death. It's talking about alienation and estrangement from God. There's a breach in our relationship because of Adam's sin. In fact, the breach is so large, the Bible calls it hostility. Seriously. Between you, outside of Christ and God, there is hostility. Do you believe that? This is true of every man and woman on the planet. There is hostility between those who don't know Christ and God. Listen to Colossians uh, 1. You who, were once, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And then Romans describes this condition too. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. This from Adam's sin. And then please note that Romans 5.12 also says this is a universal condition. Nobody dodges this bullet. Uh, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And Paul goes on in, uh, in Ephesians 2 to describe this further. In Ephesians 2, it's very important to grasp this and why we need the life that Jesus brought. If you would, follow me to Ephesians 2. It's just about a quarter of an inch to the right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. This is, these are really important verses for understanding why we need life. And this is talking about every one of us before we came to know Christ. And, and I mean you before you came to know Christ, and, and me. Look what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let me draw out three things Paul says about our dead condition here. Three things that he's mentioned in the verses we just read. Now, the first is uh, that you and I had misaligned hearts. Our house hearts were out of alignment. Uh, outside of saving faith in Christ, our allegiance is to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse two tells us we walked in, uh, follow, we followed the course of this world. 
uh, it says next that we uh, follow the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Verse 3 tells us we were aligned with the flesh, our sinful nature. We were out of alignment. Uh, just uh, around Thanksgiving, I had to get one of our cars, I had to get the front end realigned. And the reason I had to get it realigned is because the steering wheel normally like this, you know, with the two things across the front, it was like this. And that's not normal. And the car was constantly pulling to the right. And so uh, you had to steer to the left to keep going straight. Uh, you've experienced that, some of you, I'm sure. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. We have a natural pull toward the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our, we're not being pulled toward God and the things of God and his word. We're, we're being pulled the wrong way. And that's what this has just told us. We did this by nature. Now that doesn't mean that everything a, a non-Christian does is evil. I, I've known people who weren't Christians, and so have you, that were very nice people. Even people who don't know Christ are capable of do, doing things like keeping promises and making sacrifices and helping others. And that's a result of God's common grace upon humanity. Not everything a non-Christian does is evil. And, and further, being dead in sin doesn't mean that people are as bad as they could be. Not everything a non-Christian does makes the five o'clock news. Being dead in sin does not mean people are as bad as they could be. And being dead in sin also doesn't mean that non-Christians aren't religious or spiritual. Unconverted men, some of them, men and women, are some of the most religious people on this planet. Very moral, very religious, but all in their own energy. Being dead in sin means their hearts are out of alignment. There's a natural pull toward the influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Being dead in sin means there's no disposition or inclination, inclination or desire for the things of God. And Paul sums it up this way. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Look at these words. Indeed, it cannot and here's the sentence. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Our, our spiritually dead condition means our hearts are out of alignment. And Paul goes on, and the second thing he said here in, in these five verses is that this is universal. And we saw this in Romans 5.12, but he mentions it here too. In verse 3, Paul says, "...among whom we all once lived." That describes the condition of every man, woman, and child outside of faith in Christ. Spiritual death is the universal condition of mankind. And then Paul, the third thing he said here, is that this spiritually dead condition earns God's displeasure. Uh, notice the way that verse 3 ends, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our spiritually dead condition makes us liable to God's righteous anger at our sin. 
it earns his holy displeasure. So when he asks the question, why did Christ come to give us spiritual life? He came to give us spiritual life, but then we had, why do we need spiritual life? It's because we were spiritually dead. And this is why Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's telling Nicodemus that he needs a spiritual rebirth and that without this he will not see heaven. He's telling Nicodemus that he's spiritually dead and in desperate need of new life. And I have to report that you too, outside of Christ, are spiritually dead. You might protest that you're a nice guy. And you probably are. You probably were raised in a nice home. Parents raised you well. But being nice guy, a nice guy is not good enough. And, and indeed, it could be very dangerous because it might hide the fact that you're spiritually dead. Nice guy on the outside, but Jesus didn't come to address just the outside. He came to address the alignment of your heart. So why did Christ come why do we need spiritual life? It's because we're spiritually dead. Well, this raises a third question and just immediately comes to mind. If Christ came to give me spiritual life and, and I need it because I'm spiritually dead, then good grief, how do I get it? How do I lay hold on that life? Well, the Bible tells us that we get it in three ways, or three means, if you will. I'll put it on a different slide. First, it says that this life comes through the Spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit. God's Word says this in John 6, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And Titus 3.5 that we heard earlier, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual life comes through the Spirit's work of renewal and regeneration. This is not too technical for you. Uh, regeneration is not a word that's beyond your grasp. You can understand this word. It is through the Spirit's work of renewal and regeneration that this life comes to you and me. Uh, the Reformation Study Bible defines re regeneration like this. Regeneration, I'm going to move back here because the, the uh, foliage is still in my way. But it's not in the way here, is it? Regeneration is the gift of God's grace. It is the immediate supernatural work of the Holy Spirit wrought in us. Its effect is to quicken us to spiritual life from spiritual death. He go on to say, it changes the disposition of our souls, including our hearts, to God. The fruit of regeneration is faith 
Regeneration precedes faith. You can find that in your Reformation Study Bible if you're holding one in your lap today. The long and short of it is, regeneration is a front-end alignment. It's produced by the Spirit of God. Uh, and it gives us an inclination to the other side of the road, the side of the road that we need to pull, pull towards. It, it, it inclines us towards God, the things of God, his word, and most notably, Jesus Christ and his payment for sin. Without that front-end alignment, we cannot come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the result of anything you and I do. It is the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. We can incline ourselves to be regenerated. After all, we're dead in trespasses and sins. I'm talking about a sovereign work of God, and it happens because he initiates it. Uh, listen to Peter tell us that in 1 Peter 1. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Uh, regenerated, renewed to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the starting point of our spiritual life. It's not the result of our faith in Christ. This precedes our faith in Christ. We must be given a new heart so that we were able to trust in Jesus. So spiritual life comes... Uh, through the Holy Spirit. Again, we're asking the question, if I'm spiritually dead, how do I get this life? Well, this is the first means through God's Spirit. And the second way, or the second means, is through His Word, through the Word of God. After hearing the Word of God, I'm describing these things as two separate things on this slide, but they happen together. They are not separable. They are inseparable. The Spirit working through the Word. Spiritual life comes by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. He gives us new life so that we can grasp what the Word is saying and respond in faith. This Peter also says, uh, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And also in John 6, 66, Jesus describes this, John describes this, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. His word is so vital because it uh, gives us spiritual life. Uh, when the spirit illumines it, uh, the spirit presses the truth home so that we understand it. The spirit of God and the word of God. Now I hear some of you telling me, I've known dozens of people who've heard the word of God and are still dead. They've uh, occupied the front row in their church for years. They went to vacation Bible school as a child. They grew up in a Christian home. But I tell you, there is no fruit in them. What about them? I just remind you, it's not the word of God alone that brings spiritual life. 
It is this Holy Spirit working through the Word of God that brings spiritual life. He must open their eyes to see. Well, there's a third way we get this life uh, that we so desperately need, and that's through personal faith. What happens when the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to bring new life to someone's heart? The answer is they respond in faith. They are able to turn from sin to trust in Christ. It's what Galatians describes as the hearing, uh, hearing with faith that Paul talks about. John uh, again describes this in chapter 5 verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this life that Christ came to bring, this life that we need so desperately because we're spiritually dead, how do we get this life? How do we get this life? Through the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God to enable us to respond in faith to the news of Christ's payment for sin. So if we ask, why did Jesus leave his Father's glory to take on our humanity, to be born in the floor of a stable? The first reason is to bring life to the dead this is spiritual life that we're talking about. Uh, we need this so desperately because we're dead in trespasses and sins. And we get it through God's spirit working through the word that helps us respond in faith. Well, this is the first reason why Jesus left his father's glory. There's a second reason I want to point out in, this, in these two verses. Again, two short verses, but... They are far-reaching. The second reason, not only did Christ come to bring life to the dead, he came, secondly, to bring light to the darkness. He left his Father's glory to bring light to the darkness. Well, here again, it raises some questions in my mind, um, and I hope seeing this raises questions in, in your mind as well. So to begin with, what kind of light are we talking about? Uh, What kind of light is John referring to? And the answer is, generally speaking, John's referring to Christ and the good news. The light, in, in a very broad, general sense, refers to Jesus and his proclamation of the gospel. Uh, he mentions this in verse 9, just down the page. Um, no, I'm in Ephesians, that's not right. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Not that everyone uh, becomes a believer, but that the gospel was proclaimed to everyone. Uh, later in the book, John says, uh, John says this, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 12, Jesus says, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. So what kind of light are we talking about? Uh, We're talking about um, 
we're talking about Christ and the proclamation of the good news. That's the light we're talking about. Well, Pastor Rob, why do we need light? Why do we need spiritual light that Christ and the good news bring? And the answer is because, uh, because we're in darkness. We're in darkness. Look at how verse 5 continues. Well, verse 4 says, And the life was the light of men. And then verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness. When John talks about darkness, it, he's not talking about the absence of physical light. He's talking about the absence of spiritual light. He's describing the spiritual condition of the world. It, it's darkened by sin. Darkness refers to the moral and spiritual inability of mankind, much like the deadness that we just described under the first reason. Listen to God's word describe this darkness to us. Uh, we read this just moments ago. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is talking about the New Testament world that Christ came into. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. John describes this darkness in the book of 1 John. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then Paul brings it home in Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify to in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Notice this second part. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is the commentary on our culture today. And we see such absurd things taking place. Why, Pastor Rob, is that happening? Is because they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. There's darkness in their hearts. We need light because we live in spiritual darkness. We live in a world darkened by sin. Uh, we need light because before Christ, you, were, you and I were uh, in a condition of moral and spiritual inability. Well, again, I think this leads to a third question. It prompts one in my mind, at least. Um, how do I see that light then? If I need light... Uh, how do I see it? Uh, the, the answer is that there's nothing you can do on yourself, by yourself. The answer is that we must be given sight. Uh, verse 5 continues, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And while that can mean overcome, 
that last phrase there in verse 5, the darkness has not overcome it. It, it, it could mean that. It, it, and it's certainly true, the forces of darkness and unbelief did not overcome and conquer Christ. But the word can also be translated as comprehend, as some of your versions say. And if you translate it like that, the verse reads like this, light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not grasp it. They could not understand the message. They didn't get it. This is how Christ consistently described the Jewish nation as those who saw but did not perceive still in the dark. How then do we see this light of Christ? We must be given sight. We see this take place among Jesus and his disciples, uh, where they start out wondering why they forgot bread in the boat, and they have no bread with them. This after Jesus fed 4,000 people. And your response is to think, well, that's pretty thick-headed. You, you have no bread, but here's a, the man, the God with you in the boat who just fed 4,000 people. It's, it's their blindness. They're grasping to see who Christ is. But then a few verses later, uh, Jesus asked Peter, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter is able to say, you are the Christ. He's been given sight at that point. In Matthew's version of this, Matthew says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's been given sight to see who Jesus was. This principle carries through the New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians, we see it again. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts describes it as well. Paul's teaching in Philippi near the riverbank. And Luke explains the setting. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by the Apostle Paul. How do we see this light, this illumination that Christ brings? We must be given sight. We must be shown. Friend, this is not your typical Christmas message. And John begins in a completely different place than the other Gospels do. He begins in eternity past, but now today he's shifted to Christ on earth, taking on our humanity. Why did he leave his Father's glory, clothe himself with our humanity, and enter the world through the floor of a stable? through a teenage girl. Why did he become a man? And these verses give us two reasons. He came 
to bring us spiritual light. Uh, he came to bring life to the dead. Uh, and secondly, he came to bring light to the darkness. So, do you have the kind of light? Do you have the kind of light that these two verses are speaking of today? If you do not, then I would ask you to consider the incredible love of God for lost and helpless sinners like me and like you. Consider the love of God that sent his one and only son to earth as a man, as the God-man. God sent Christ not when we were making progress. God sent Christ not when human humanity had begun to improve. Not because humanity was on the way. Oh Jesus, just go down there and give them a little push and I think they'll make it. No. It says God sent Christ when we were dead in trespasses and sins. If you consider yourself spiritually dead this morning, unable to move a muscle toward him, then ask God to give you life. Ask him to make you alive. Ask him to turn the lights on for you. You that have already escaped from death. You that have already fled from spiritual darkness. Our response is praise to God for what he has done. His love that sent his one and only son on uh, this desperate mission to, to bring us spiritual life and to bring us spiritual light. Please fill our hearts afresh with praise and adoration, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus, and his payment for sin on the cross. Help us now as we remember his death for us on the cross through the Lord's Supper. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.